Now it's time to talk about reducing inequality. That's the focus of what Atosa Abrahamian calls the inequality industry. Atosa Araxia Abrahamian is a senior editor at The Nation and author of the book, The Cosmopolites, The Coming of the Global Citizen. Her writing has appeared in the New York Times, New York Magazine, and the London Review, as well as The Nation. Atosa, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Well, the president of the International Monetary Fund, Christine Lagarde, said at Davos not long ago, quote, the economics profession and the policy community have downplayed inequality for too long, close quote. But wait a minute, isn't the IMF the most powerful institution in the world pushing austerity and the privatization of public services? And isn't Davos where the richest of the rich gather to meet and greet? What's, what's going on here? Well, you've really put your finger on it, John, because, uh, because what's happening is that Ever since the 2008 financial crisis, exactly 10 years ago to this week, uh, there's been a huge amount of interest in this idea of inequality. How much do we have? How much is the right amount? What kinds of impacts is it having on society, on policy, on politics, on the way people live? And I think this is one of the most positive products of the crisis, but it also makes you think twice about where it's going when, as you point out, we have Christine Lagarde at Davos talking about inequality. A fun fact that didn't make it into the piece is that Lagarde gave that speech in 2012. And the year before her speech, uh, there was an Occupy Wall Street igloo at Davos, and they were the ones who were talking about inequality. So in one short year, the issue of inequality went from being something that activists were worrying about to something that heads of state, heads of massive international organizations, and people writing policies that in the past have increased inequality, arguably in lots of countries, uh, were wringing their hands about. So it's, it's a really fascinating development. I learned from your piece in The Nation that another one of those big organizations that's gotten interested in inequality is the Ford Foundation, which announced in 2015 that they were changing their mission. What does their mission statement say now? So their, their mission statement is now to tackle inequality in all its forms. Uh, this can be an educational inequality. It can mean, uh, you know, sort of vague ideas about the future of work and how much people are being paid. It can be regulatory. So it's a pretty uh, broad mandate. Um, but it's, again, pretty, it's significant that the Ford Foundation is, is pivoting in this way. Uh, and I spoke to Darren Walker, who was the head of the Ford Foundation, and he traces this commitment back to Henry Ford, who famously wanted his, his factory workers to be able to afford the cars that they made. And there is one more completely fascinating fact in your article. The London School of Economics, a couple of years ago, uh, started offering a master's degree in something called inequality studies. Uh, how much is tuition in that program? Yeah, it's just around, for non, for non-EU students, it's just around $30,000 a year, <laughs> which as far as master's programs go, I mean, compared to the States, it's a bargain. But that also says something. And even within inequality studies, you'll have people who pay more um, because they're coming from abroad. You'll have students who pay less because they're from England or they're from coming from the EU. And you'll also have students who have subsidized uh, tuition because they're fellows. 
um, at this institute that's uh, that's next door. And so even within inequality studies, you have inequalities. <laughs> you can go on and on, right? And it's a little facile to complain about this because all of this, I think, is quite positive. It's quite positive, but the argument of your piece is that there's a significant difference between fighting inequality and achieving equality. Please explain. As you point out, there's been a lot of interest from elites about inequality. Uh, Why is that? Is it that elites want to be just like normal men and women? I don't think so. Um, Is it that elites want ordinary working Americans to be as rich as they are? Maybe some of them, but I don't think that that's what is driving the conversation. I've spoken to a number of historians and people in this space, and the consensus seems to be that um, fighting inequality is actually not a very radical position to take. One of the people I spoke to said that this was the Bismarck approach, so you want to just maintain as much stability to keep the regime going. Sam Moyne, who is professor at Yale, who wrote a book about inequality in the human rights world, said that this is actually a, a pretty standard position of centrists throughout history, that it is a way of maintaining the status quo. Because when inequality rises to the levels we're, we're seeing lately, which are quite unsustainable, it threatens political stability. It threatens economic growth. It has all of these detrimental effects on society as a whole, on individual countries, on the global economy. So you can oppose inequality for instrumental reasons without necessarily wanting there to be all that much equality at all. Now we have some really good research and writing on inequality. And on the left, there's been a lot of questioning about does the focus on economic inequality take our attention away from racial difference, gender difference, the environmental crisis? What can we say about the uh, intersectionality here? My sense is that there's a pretty high awareness that some types of inequality lead to other types of inequality. So, for example, educational inequality will lead to wage inequality, will lead to wealth inequality, et cetera, et cetera. And I also think that conversations such as Me Too have raised awareness about things like the gender wage gap. So I I wouldn't go so far to say that this has been a really a siloed conversation or one that is exclusively focused on things like economics or money. I think to, to the researchers' great credit, they, they are very aware of this. And, and also the idea that wealth is self-perpetuating is quite prevalent in these discussions. But I also don't think it's a coincidence that in this time of heightened awareness about inequality, we're seeing these different movements crop up around different forms of it. Uh, even Black Lives Matter is fundamentally a, a movement around racial inequality and racism. And as we prepare for the November midterm elections, of course, we are thinking about what's the relationship between economic inequality and democracy. Yeah, there's been a lot of research, maybe not enough research, but but, but definitely a fair amount of research that shows that um, particularly since the passing of Citizens United, rich people can just go nuts giving so much money to campaigns and that this distorts the political process. Special interests have outsized power and they tend to be wealthy too. So you see a pattern here. Something that is worth pointing out that isn't purely about money is is this idea of power, right? And to, to really fix inequality, you have to think about who has the power. 
and who gets a say, not only in who gets the money, but, but in what policies get passed, what tax rates end up being, who gets a say in the electoral process, um, who gets to, to propose things in Congress, et cetera, et cetera. And, so, and I think that this idea of power does tend to be overlooked a little bit when we're, we're so concerned with, you know, what is the top 1% making this year relative to everybody else. There's another connection between uh, what you call inequality talk and politics, and that is the way inequality talk is in some ways consistent with uh, right-wing campaigns against immigration. I think that if you really consider the the evidence and the data about inequality and good faith, you hopefully wouldn't come to some extreme right-wing conclusions, but, but you can see how talk of inequality can be co-opted by the right to say, okay, we don't want to let in any more people in the country because of inequality and we want to, we want to only share with people who we consider part of our community, part of our nation. The problem there is that how they define the nation is incredibly limited and, and sometimes has enormous problems, right? Those can be anti-democratic in their own right. And when you look at speeches by figures like Steve Bannon, who says, you know, we have socialism for the top and the bottom and and everybody else has to kind of battle it out, that indicates to me that there are people out there who are thinking of inequality in terms of how do we keep people out and how do we redistribute resources only in the communities that we we define as American. So what is to be done, the big institutions and foundations that you're talking about have a very clear program, limit executive compensation, end corporate tax avoidance, eliminate the gender pay gap, tax the rich. These are all very good things. We're concerned about the limits of this approach. Yeah, historically, this approach, which I don't think is unfair to to call more or less incremental, has not worked. Um, Historically, the biggest reducers of inequality have been really bad things. Plagues, wars, immiseration, uh, revolutions, things where a lot of people die really fast. So I don't think that we really should be looking to start more wars or, you know, spread Ebola or bring out the guillotines, at least not for the time being. I do think that there are sort of more radical forms of taxation that can be instituted. I think that some of these issues have to be dealt with on a global scale. For example, tax avoidance um, is a global problem that actually thrives off of the differences in tax policies between different countries. So there's got to be some cooperation there. Another really important thing to keep in mind and, and for the you know general public to be aware of is that hand-wringing about inequality does not mean, is not the same thing as egalitarianism the people doing it wouldn't even argue with that. Egalitarianism is its own thing. And I think that if we want both to reduce inequality and to make people more equal, um, this pressure needs to be coming on all sides and the sort of egalitarian spirit has to prevail. That, and, and that's a tricky thing to do, right? But I, I think that being aware of the limitations of inequality talk is at least a way to start. The solution that we used to hear about to inequality was economic growth. You know, a rising tide lifts all boats and so on. There's a little more skepticism about the economics of that, but the the climate action movement has provided a radically different perspective on inequality because we can see that economic growth is destroying the planet. We cannot get more for everybody. How does that change inequality talk? 
We have to redefine what we mean by more, I think, because traditional sort of carbon-based economic growth isn't going to cut it anymore. There's some dispute over who said this, but the the idea that a rising tide is not just going to lift all boats or even all yachts, uh, but it's going to drown us all. We're all going to drown. Um, you know that that that's that's true. I think we went from believing that economic growth would, in fact, um, lift all boats to a deeper understanding that where the growth goes is definitely not equal, and that the one percent really tend to profit from economic growth as we know it today much more than than ordinary men and women. So there are two things you can do about that. One, as one of the people I interviewed in the story, Heather Boucher, says. We have to look at what we mean when we say the, the economy grew by 4%. Okay, it grew by 4%. Who did that go to? And then we also have to think about the environmental consequences of that growth. What is the downside? Uh, and finally, you have to think of new models to, to measure growth and to measure economic prosperity and well-being across the board. And that's a really fundamental aspect of this, I think. A rising tide won't lift all boats. It won't even lift all yachts. Instead, it's more likely to drown us all. Atosa Abrahamian, she wrote about the inequality industry for the new issue of The Nation magazine. You can read her at thenation.com. Thank you, Atosa. Thank you, John. Nice talking to you. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. 